Welcome to Health Cetera's podcast. Across the country, hospitals and whole health systems are merging under the guise of improving quality, fostering efficiencies, and lowering healthcare costs. But some recent evidence has emerged that shows these aims are not being achieved with the mergers. Philip Pantuso, journalist and managing editor of the River Newsroom, recently wrote an article about the healthcare mergers that have occurred in the greater Catskill region of New York. The article presents evidence of the various issues that communities are left to face with hospital and health system consolidations. These mergers are not cutting costs, rather, they're creating them. On this podcast, registered nurse and program host Dr. Diana Mason is joined by Philip Pantuso for a conversation about his article, and the many costs of health system mergers. This podcast first aired on Health Cetera in the Catskills on WIOX Radio on December 1st, 2021. Well, across the country, hospitals and whole health systems are merging under the guise of improving quality, fostering efficiencies, and lowering health care costs. But there's some recent evidence that suggests that these aims are not being achieved with the mergers. We're just getting bigger, more um, assembly line healthcare and the quality may not be improving. And we're probably not saving money. The River Newsroom published what has happened in our own region in a recent story about Margaretville Hospital Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley and Westchester Medical Center Now, Margaretville Hospital is part of Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley, which is part of Westchester Medical Center. The journalist is the managing editor of the River Newsroom, an online uh, investigative and and local um, uh, journalism media outlet. And um, uh, and this is Phil Pantuso, who um, has written uh, about... Health care in our region before, and uh, just on November 22nd, wrote an article titled The Costs of Improving Hospital Efficiency. And Phil, welcome back to Health Center in the Catskills. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Yes. Just for transparency purposes, I am on the board of Margaretville Hospital. I did invite um, the hospital and uh, Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley Westchester Medical Center to come on, but um, they wrote back that they weren't going to come on. Uh, They were are hoping, and I will have them on in the new year. They want to talk about some new services uh, that are available in our region. So, Phil, um, why don't we start by having... You just talk about the, the Westchester medical system, uh, medical care system, and how uh, how Health Alliance and how uh, Margaretville Hospital have fit into that, and how that has evolved. Yeah, um, so it's, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. So the, the Westchester Medical uh, Center Health System it's they have approximately seventeen hundred beds, uh, sort of throughout the Hudson Valley, Mid Hudson Valley, and the Catskills. Uh, and they operate 10 hospitals on eight campuses. And in the last decade or so, they've really been on uh, an acquisition spree. Um, they took over the old St. Francis Hospital in Poughkeepsie, which is now Mid-Hudson Regional. Uh, they took over uh, the Bon Scores Hospital System, and they took over uh, what was then called the Health Alliance, or, uh, or had recently been renamed the Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley System, in Kingston, and how that system was formed was uh, 
two separate hospitals in Kingston, the former um, Kingston Hospital on Broadway and the Mary's Avenue Benedictine Hospital, Catholic Hospital, have been sort of forcibly merged uh, by recommendation of um, the, Ber the Berger Commission, which was this panel that kind of over did a huge investigation into how um, healthcare was working in the state in 2006. So um, Margaretville Hospital had had a relationship with the Kingston Hospital, I think going back to about 2001. When the Health Alliance was formed, um, I think officially in, in 2012, uh, Margaretville Hospital was part of that formation and Westchester Medical Center bought the entire Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley System in 2016. So it's this kind of like nesting doll sequence mm -hmm. of acquisitions and, and transfers there. But that's broadly speaking sort of like what, uh, what the and, and what I think people don't realize is that when these mergers happen, so there is a hospital board for Margaretville Hospital, I am on it. It is advisory. It does not have what's called fiduciary responsibility. It doesn't have the power to essentially hire and fire the CEO or to oversee the budget. Um, that the old board used to have that. The, the, the Kingston Hospital had a board. So all these hospitals initially had their own boards, often with members of the community on the boards. Um, many of these boards are fundraising boards more than anything. Um, but uh, the board did have legal responsibility for uh, ensuring the financial viability of, of, of the institution. But when these mergers happen, uh, then the system has a, usually what happens is a, a, the system has a board, but they get rid of the boards of the individual entities. And um, so I, I'm not aware, I don't know if you are, Phil, of, of whether any of the other hospitals in the Westchester Medical Center system have even an advisory board like we have here. Um, I don't know enough about, I can't speak to all of this, the hospitals mm -hmm. in the system, but... Um, but yeah, sir, I mean, certainly what you're describing is the typical course of actions, and, and I think you can talk a little bit about the the role that the uh, the Margaretville Hospital Board has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really. I chair the quality committee. We ask important questions. We try to be a conduit to the community, and that's really important. And bring community perspectives to the health system and also trying to communicate what's going on with the hospital to the community. So I, I think it has an important role to play. But, 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 but with these health systems, it's usually the large corporate entity that has the control and the power, and everything has to go through them and get approval, which makes it very bureaucratic and cumbersome usually. Now, one of the points that you make in the article is around these mergers the reason for these mergers is supposedly that they create efficiencies and cost controls. And so when you're buying patient gowns, you can buy so many more when you have a large system and you can get a lower price on it. But there's some recent evidence that maybe we're not saving money with these large mergers. And I'm wondering what, what you have to say about how, what we know about how this has played out with locally, with Westchester Medical Center Network. Yeah, I mean, so arguments in favor of hospital consolidation often tout higher quality of care or other benefits like aggregated purchasing power, like you mentioned, um, for both consumers and, and the hospital systems themselves. But th there are a lot of recent studies that have found that to be untrue. There was um, a study 
that came out in 2020 that looked at um, a number of mergers and acquisitions over the prior decade and found that hospital acquisition by another hospital or hospital system was associated with modestly worse patient experiences and no significant changes in readmission or mortality rate. Um, the other factor here, so, so there, there are a number of studies that show slightly diminished quality of care and somewhat paradoxically, um, a higher cost for healthcare, um, which, you know, mostly are borne by patients. Uh, hospitals in highly concentrated markets can charge higher prices for medical services and have greater leverage to negotiate higher prices. And um, hospital concentration has been linked to average insurance premiums that are 5% higher um, than those in less concentrated areas. Uh, so the overall upshot of all this consolidation seems to be slightly diminished quality of care and higher prices overall. And then, of course, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, one of the factors um, that's happening locally, um, and that happens, I think, when these consolidations happen in across huge geographic expanses in rural areas is you lose sort of critical points of access as well. And we can get more into that, I'm sure, as we go on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's also a, a bit of a paradox going on. Um, just, I think it was last week, uh, I read two reports um, on uh, health systems that are getting having record profits. Uh, Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic. So these are really well-known, big uh, and, and international. They're all over the country. Their network is all over the country. They're outside of the country as well. At least I know the Cleveland Clinic is. And so they're major, making these huge profit margins. Um, I, I can't speak to anything else about it except that they that was what the report was. But the, in rural areas, uh, rural hospitals continue to close. And we know that when a rural hospital closes, it really undermines the viability of a community. It's often an, the main economic engine in an area. And so there's been a lot of concern about, is Margaretville Hospital going to stay open? Um, why, what's, why would Westchester Medical keep it open? Uh, and, and the concern was, I think, great enough that um, Michael Doyle, who's the executive director and chief medical officer for Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley and oversees Marketville Hospital, brought some people to the community and held a community forum last, this past, uh, earlier in this fall. And at that, uh, and reported, he said outright that, you know, we're not closing this hospital. We're not closing this skilled nursing facility, the mountainside residential cent uh, facility. Um, and yet there's still, you still hear rumors. Well, they're closing the nursing home. Well, they're going to close the hospital. Staff morale uh, was brought up. I mean, there were staff people there at the community meeting and, and uh, they spoke to, um, you know, how, how, Morale was really low, uh, concerns about cuts in staff. And none of this is unique to our area. I mean, the staff morale is horrible all over the country in, in health care systems. Uh, you know, it, 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 on the one hand, you know, we can look at a, our local hospital and think, well, it needs to be better, and you do want it to be better. But then you look at what's going on in health care and you ask, 
well, how can it? What are your thoughts about where we're at with healthcare and and what a system like Health Alliance of the Hudson Valley, Westchester Medical, um, what they could do to improve staff morale? You spoke about that in your article, the low staff morale uh, in the system. Um, what are your thoughts about, um, are there answers? Um, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think it's worth, it's worth stating at the top that the, kind of circling back to something you said at the beginning of your question about the kind of importance that um, uh, a, a major hospital can play to a rural community. Margaretville Hospital in particular is one of only 18 um, what are called critical access hospitals. Yes in the state, um, which is essentially a federal program that gets it um, a little bit of extra funding there. Um, but yeah, the, mor the morale issues, I mean, that's, that's kind of a current of both the article that I wrote uh, published last week and then an another one that I wrote um, last year. I mean, I've talked to many, many nurses and um, you know, they say it's, it's essentially never been worse. And there are, of course, reasons that go far beyond the control of any hospital system um, <clears throat> explaining that, right? It's, yeah. You don't need me to tell you that it's been a really hard time to be working in healthcare these, these past 18 months. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have the answers. To some extent, I think that this is um, a systemic problem and that it's the result of kind of a slow but inexorable march of uh, a creep of disinvestment, of putting more and more um, on the plates of nurses and other frontline healthcare workers um, and not on sort of extending uh, social services, not on um, providing kind of other ways that people can can get help. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's not really like a, a good answer mm -hmm. to your question, I think. I mean, the, the, the meeting that Michael Doyle and the Health Alliance called back in September, that community meet and greet, I wasn't able to attend it in person, but I've seen video of it, and I, I, some of that video is included in my article. And it's a pretty astonishing—it's um, a pretty astonishing thing to watch because the uh, the the residential care center, Mountainside. You know, we've heard so much about the plight of nursing homes over COVID. They haven't had a single COVID case, much less death. Um, the hospital itself in Margaretville has been doing incredible work. And I think it's the, like, I think it's the only place, one of the very few places in the region where you can actually walk in and get a PCR COVID test as well. But yeah, you, you watch the video and, and the, the, it's, it's frontline staffer, front nurse after nurse tech, one after the other sort of getting up and expressing um, just sort of how bad things they are. And the, and the same thing has been happening in Kingston in a, in a much more sort of public uh, forum that the nurses um, 
pretty much every Wednesday throughout this summer, we're protesting out in front of the campus on Broadway for the return of the behavioral health unit, which the hospital system closed down last year. And they also laid off a number of workers, including nurse leads that um, kind of helped everything just run smoothly there. So it, it, is, it is a systemic problem and it goes, and it goes beyond um, what's happening just at the Health Alliance with the Hudson Valley. But, um, you know, it, it's also happening here. So. Yeah, let me just correct one thing. I don't think you can just walk in and get a PCR test at the hospital. I think you have to have a, um, uh, a prescription, essentially, to get it uh, from a your primary care provider, a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a PA, um, which is a little bit crazy. I, I'm not quite sure why it, you know, we're not making it easier in this country given that PCR tests are needed uh, sometimes just to get on an airplane and go travel um, internationally. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so thank, sorry, uh -huh. thank you for that correction. Yeah, I meant, I meant walk-in sort of in a more sort of euphemistically way. Like, you can actually go to... That, that's a location you can actually go to. But, yeah, yeah, thank you for that clarification. Yeah, and I have to say, I, I've recently, uh, and I hope to do a program on this, um, my, my husband um, has had a wound that's been trying to heal for two years. And it, it, uh, uh, the surgeon um, kept, refused to, and the surgeon is a brilliant surgeon in New York City, refused to give, me, give us a referral to the wound care program that Margaretville Hospital has. And um, I finally transferred his primary care up here, and the nurse practitioner, Sharon Garrett, um, she, I said, I, I, I want a referral for him to the wound care program at the hospital. I'd heard good things about it. It's been amazing, absolutely amazing, the difference in just 10 days. Um, and it, it borders on, you know, the surgeon almost being, um, almost being malpractice because surgeons are not the wound experts. And this is a, the hospital has these certified wound care nurses that are fabulous, uh, and I'm going to do more on that to say. So, so, so there are some crucial services. We've used physical therapy services, et cetera. Um, and so this idea of, of um, staff morale becomes really important to me because we know the quality of care is dependent upon staff morale. That when you want it, there are four pillars uh, to get to quality care, and one of them is staff satisfaction. And while it's a challenge all over the country, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the system will um, really pay more attention to that. Phil, the, you, you did mention um, the behavioral health unit, and I want to get an update on that. We've covered that in the past. The fact that the acute care mental health unit and the, uh, um, at, at the Kingston Hospital and the behavioral, acute behavioral uh, unit uh, where people with substance use disorders could detoxify, et cetera, those units were closed during COVID to free up beds, but um, they haven't reopened those units. And you mentioned this in your article. Uh, what do we know about that? That's basically what we know. Um, they were closed last year, and it's worth noting that that unit, 60 beds total, uh, is the only inpatient hospital unit of that type in Ulster County, and it also serves uh, patients in neighboring counties that, that don't have that capacity either. Um, 
the in order to permanently take the beds offline, they have to uh, Westchester would need to file uh, a request um, with State Office of Mental Health, which they apparently have not yet done. But um, the it seems quite clear that there's no intent to reopen that unit, or or, or to be more specific, to bring back those beds to um, to campus. Um, part of what uh, Westchester's plan is with the two Kingston hospitals, and this has been evident, they said so themselves, really since they purchased the Health Alliance, is to close one of the hospitals in Kingston, consolidate all of the inpatient services in, in uh, the Mary's Avenue campus and turn the Broadway campus into what they're calling like a health village or a medical center. Mm. Um, and they, that process is well underway. Um, Westchester likes to talk about the renovation that is um, ongoing at Mary's Avenue at the Mary's Avenue Hospital campus, and all the new and bolstered services and offerings that will be there. Many of which are quite impressive, um, and I think that there's an argument to be made that it, it makes it does make sense to consolidate two hospitals into one that does all of the hospital inpatient care, and to use the second facility. Um, on a, at a different place in the continuum of care, so outpatient stuff, medical, mm -hmm. village type of stuff. But, um, um, you know, nowhere among the services that are being touted as um, offering at the renovated Mary's Avenue campus is uh, psychiatric or substance use disorder care. So the Broadway campus still has a couple of um, detoxification beds. I, I'm actually waiting for word back from Westchester Medical about how many they have there. But now what happens, and as has been the case since last March, or last April, um, April 1st, I think, is when they close that unit, anyone who needs inpatient psych treatment um, and most people who need inpatient um, substance use disorder treatment who are admitted uh, to the emergency room at Broadway or even to the emergency room in Margaretville, end up going to Mid-Hudson Regional Hospital in Poughkeepsie, which as I detail a little bit in my article, does not really have the capacity, um, both in terms of staff and beds to handle that influx. Um, your, your listeners might be familiar with the case of a man named Andy Neiman, uh, who walked into the emergency room uh, in an acute mental health crisis this summer in Poughkeepsie, waited for 14 hours for a bed, wasn't able to get a bed, walked out of the emergency room, nobody saw where he went, and his body was found a week later in the Hudson River. I've heard a number of other stories of uh, emergency room personnel essentially having to triage people uh, in acute mental health crisis there at Mid-Hudson Regional because Westchester Medical only, they, they, they built, they stood up a, a, a small auxiliary unit that had less than half of the capacity of the one that had closed in Ulster County. And that, of course, doesn't account for the huge spikes we've seen in mental health crisis and substance use uh, over the past 18 months as a result of the cascading series of crises mm -hmm. that we're living through. So yeah. there's, there's no real update on whether, or, you know, whether or not it's coming back. And they, they continue to essentially avoid the question. 
Yeah, and I, I just want to point out that um, so these are real issues of concern. And while we're talking about this this health system, I want to point out that the country's health, pay, how we pay for care in, in this country, is a real problem. That the hospital will not get as much money for a mental health bed, a behavioral health bed, as it will for its new interventional cardiology services. They pay high bucks for those services. And so um, we've got to take a look at how we're paying for care um, in this country, and I'm a proponent of really trying to move towards uh, stopping rewarding doing more procedures. Um, we pay for procedures rather than keeping people well. So um, that's another program that we'll get to. But, Phil, in just one or two minutes, I want to be able to tell people, one, how to find the article, and two, if you could just say a word about the River Newsroom and the importance of local journalism and supporting local journalism. Yeah, so you can find the article right on our homepage at therivernewsroom.com. It's right at the top, so you can't really miss it. And, um, I mean, the importance of local journalism, I hope, is evident in investigative pieces like this. Um, what we try to do with the rivers is to really go deep on stories that might get, uh, you know, one mention, uh, you know, in your daily newspaper, if you even have a daily newspaper, or get bypassed altogether. Um, we're a small newsroom, and there's much that we can't get to, but we do take our work quite seriously, and we have been able to impact change, I think. And um, I would also be remiss if I, if I didn't mention that we're, we are heavily reader-funded, and we're running a membership campaign between now and the end of the year, which... Um, if you go to our site, right at the top of the page, there's a support link that will allow you to sign up for as little as five bucks a month, and it gives you um, everything that we publish, some uh, free access to our events, yes. and a couple other yes. cool goodies. Yes, and and I, I just want to say that. Uh, local journalism, we know uh, from research that has been done that local journalism is key to having civil conversations in, in communities, that it helps to keep communities focused on uh, the connections and the issues that they have and uh, uh, not just uh, paying attention to the craziness that's going on in our whole country and globally. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, support local journalism Phil Pantuso, Managing Editor of the River Newsroom at therivernewsroom.com. Thank you so much for your work and for coming on to Health Cetera in the Catskills today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a podcast of Health Cetera in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to Health Cetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Diana Mason, Barbara Glickstein, and production assistant Kai Volsey.